right, thank you. Let's go ahead and grab our Bibles and turn to Esther, chapter number 6. Esther, chapter 6, we're going to cover the whole chapter this evening, um, work our way through it pretty quickly, but uh, this is probably my favorite part of the story that we're coming to in Esther. Esther, chapter 6, the story is uh, beginning to unfold more quickly as we make our way through it. Uh, but in a much different way than Haman has anticipated. So far, everything has gone in Haman's favor. He thinks um, he's in control. He thinks everything's working out for his good, but we, we know what happens yet, and we're going to uh, uh, see his pride crushed this evening. His, his mind is being puffed up with pride. In his mind, he's the greatest thing in the kingdom. Uh, the only person greater than Haman is the king, and I can imagine Haman in his mind uh, perhaps thinking, maybe I can be king. Maybe I can be better than Ahasuerus. Maybe I could take his place. Um, we don't know that was his intent, but uh, I can imagine Haman had plans to overthrow Ahasuerus and become the king of Persia if, that, uh, if he was able to. Again, we don't know that, but uh, I, can, I can see in his pride uh, him wanting to do that. And we, we can see some glimpses of this uh, intention here in chapter 6. Uh, but tonight we're going to consider, like I said, uh, my favorite part of the story, the part where Haman's pride and his ego, they're popped like a balloon, uh, like, a, like at a kid's party. Whenever a kid, kid's balloon pops at a party and they start crying, well, Haman's balloon called pride pops and he's actually going to start crying. We're going to see that in this, uh, in this part of the story. He's going to cry like a baby. And so we're going to see uh, Haman's pride uh, ruined. Uh, and so as we consider this part of the story, we, we learn that there are no coincidences with the Lord. And that's the title of the message, No Coincidences. No Coincidences with God. Uh, he's not caught off guard. God is not surprised. Uh, God is not unaware. He knows what He's doing, even when we don't know what God's doing, even when we don't know what we're doing. God is in control. He doesn't use coincidence. God uses providence. He's, he's in control. He's got a plan, and he's going to uh, see that plan through. God is calculated. God is organized. God is intentional. Uh, God is a God of order, not of chaos. And so he makes no mistakes, even though we do at times. And so we're going to see the mistakes of men in, the, in this chapter, but we're also going to see, again, God's providence how he's working all things together for good. And I want us to be reminded this evening that there are no coincidences with the Lord in our life. Uh, nothing is, is by coincidence. And so we can be encouraged in that, knowing that God is in control. But let's pray and we'll get into the message this evening. Dear Lord, I thank you for this day that you've given us. And Lord, again, I thank you for the freedom um, that we have to be able to worship you. Lord, I thank you that we're living at a time of peace in our country. Uh, Lord, we think about uh, the country of Israel at this time. Um, Lord, and our missionary there and his family and his congregation. And Lord, the others that are there serving. I just ask, Lord, that you'd be close to them in this time. Uh, Lord, that you would give them uh, comfort and peace. That you would protect them. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would be with those who are lost. Uh, that you would work in their hearts and use this situation, Lord, to draw them to you. God, I just pray that your hand would be done in, in, this, uh, in this situation, that you would get the glory and the honor through it. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd work there. I ask that you'd be with us now as we consider your word for a few moments. 
Lord, help us to put aside any distracting thoughts we might have. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts and, and help us to realize, Lord, that there's no coincidence with, coincidences with you, that you're in control and we can trust you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help me to be emptied of self, Lord, and filled with your spirit. And I ask that you would speak to our hearts as only you can. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, the first thing that I want us to see is a forgotten deed. A forgotten deed in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 6, the Bible says this, On that night could not the king sleep, and he commanded to bring the book of records of the chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it was found written that Mordecai had told of Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's chamberlains, the keepers of the door, who sought to lay hand on the king Ahasuerus. And the king said, What honor and dignity hath been done to Mordecai for this? Then said the king's servants that ministered unto him, There is nothing done for him. One of the first so-called coincidences that we see in this passage is Ahasuerus is a hard time falling asleep. Um, he has just left the banquet of wine that Esther put on for him and Haman, and he had a good time there. Uh, and now he's at home, and it's that evening, and he's having a hard time falling asleep. We don't, we're not told the reason why. Uh, some commentators suggest he's feeling a little guilty for not having spent time with Esther for over a month. And she's shown him this kindness uh, that he hasn't deserved and um, that he hasn't earned. And so uh, some, some believe perhaps he's feeling guilty for, for this. Uh, but... Uh, we, we are not told that, but he's not able to fall asleep. And one thing we're certain of is that uh, I believe it's God and His Spirit that's orchestrating this restlessness in his heart. Uh, th this isn't just a coincidence that Ahasuerus can't fall asleep. On this night, the night before Haman comes to his house to ask for the head of Mordecai, this is not a, not a coincidence. Um, this is the night before, again, uh, Haman's going to ask for Mordecai's head, but also the night before Esther is going to ask for Haman's head and for the life of her people. And uh, the king, he, he loves his sleep. He wants to fall asleep. And so he commands some of his servants to fetch the book of records, the book of the Chronicles, of the things that have happened in his uh, empire that have taken place, and he wants them to, to read it to him, read him a bedtime story so he can fall asleep. And uh, another so-called coincidence, this would have been a large volume, uh, perhaps many scrolls or, or records. I don't know how they stored them, but there would have been uh, a large uh, library of the events that have happened in Persia. And his, he didn't tell his servants which one to grab, but they just so happened to grab the one that has recorded what Mordecai did back in chapter 2. And not only that, they, they opened and read in that scroll or book at the exact uh, re recording of what Mordecai did. And again, this is no coincidence that this happened. This is God orchestrating uh, that he would be reminded of what Mordecai did for him. And so the question was asked by Ahasuerus. He, he heard this. Uh, uh, he, he's reminded about what, uh, Morde uh, what Mordecai did for him. And Ahasuerus asked, uh, what was done for Mordecai? What, was, he re was he recognized? Was he rewarded? And the servants had to answer, no, nothing has been done for Mordecai. This good deed that Mordecai did was left unrewarded, unrecognized, uh, and forgotten about. 
Mordecai never makes a fuss about this. We don't see that. Uh, but we, we, we see that uh, this is what happens. He, Hashuars is, is reminded of his good deed towards him. And he wants to honor Mordecai for what he did. We see some character on the part of Ahasuerus as a leader, as the king. This man who did something that saved his life, he didn't recognize him at first. He let it go. Maybe he forgot about it. Maybe he didn't care at the time. But now he sees, I've done wrong. I've let this man who, who helped me, I, I've let him go unrecognized, unrewarded. And he wants to make it right. He wants to fix his error. He, uh, he, he wants to, to, to show gratitude to Mordecai. Uh, I was reading Matthew Henry's commentary as I was studying this, and um, he mentions two laws of gratitude. Two laws of gratitude, and I want us to consider those. First, it's be uh, better honor than nothing. It's better to honor than do nothing. Uh, for those who are in leadership, for those who, are, uh, for those who have friends, for those who have those they care about, it's better to honor those we care about and that help us and that do good for us. It's better to honor them than to do nothing and to let it go unrecognized. Uh, this is especially important for those in leadership, but for Christians in general as well. And so the question is, do you make it a point to recognize and thank or reward or encourage those who have helped you and have done good to you? Do, do you honor them? Do you recognize them? Or do you do nothing? Or do you take for, for granted their service and their kindness that they've rendered to you? There's no faster way to lose help and support of those underneath you than to let their service go unrecognized, unthanked, and unwelcomed. And so it's necessary, especially in a church, it's necessary that we thank others for their service, that we recognize others for their service. In our friendships, in our relationships, it's necessary that we recognize the kindness that has been shown to us and not let it go um, unrecognized. When was the last time that you thanked the Sunday school teacher who teaches your children? When was the last time you thanked uh, the one who cleans the church or the ones who help in the nursery? When was the last time you thanked those who helped with, with the sound or with greeting at the door or helping play instruments in the worship? When's the last time we thanked someone else in the church for what they have done in service, not just to the Lord, but to us as they minister to one another? Uh, we need to be a church that recognizes the service of others. It's better to honor than to do nothing. Uh, for those who feel that their deeds go unrecognized, though, and unthanked, there's the great promise and comfort of knowing that there are rewards in heaven awaiting the believer who's faithfully served the Lord. If man never recognizes us or thanks us, that's okay. God recognizes, and He sees our service, and there are rewards in heaven for the Christian who has faithfully served the Lord in this life, and He'll recognize you in time. Uh, if, you, if you trust the Lord and continue to serve Him faithfully. And so it doesn't have to be a great reward like Ashuaris. We don't have to throw a giant parade uh, in honor of those who have helped us. But a kind word goes a long way in a church, in a relationship, in a leadership position. We need to learn to recognize those who help us and care for us and serve us in our life. It's better to, uh, to honor than to do nothing. Number two, uh, we see a blinded man. So we see, um, we see a forgotten deed. Number two, we see a blinded man in verses four through six. 
the Bible says, And the king said, Who is in the court? Now Haman was come into the outward court of the king's house to speak unto the king, to hang Mordecai on the gallows that he had prepared for him. And the king's servant said unto him, Behold, Haman standeth in the court. And the king said, Let him come in. So Haman came in, and the king said unto him, What shall be done unto the man whom the king delighteth to honor? Now Haman thought in his heart, To whom would the king delight to honor more than to myself? So we see a blinded man here. Just after being reminded about this incident where Mordecai helps him, uh, we see Hashuerus, he realizes somebody's waiting for him in the outer court, and, and nobody comes into the inner court, not even Haman, the second in command, without permission from the king. And so he realizes it's Haman, and man, what great timing Haman has. I need to make a decision about how to honor Mordecai, and who better to ask than my second in command how I can honor Mordecai, uh, this servant who has helped me and saved my life. Who better to ask than Haman? Uh, and Haman, though, he doesn't realize what he's about to be asked to do. And so he walks into this, uh, he walks into the palace, and he's ready to ask the king uh, for Mordecai's head. He's ready to ask the king, I, I, I want permission to build a gallows so that I can hang Mordecai on it because I hate him. But before he can even get his question, his request out, uh, the king asks him, Haman, what, what should be done for the man that I want to honor? And here we see Haman's pride being puffed up. Man, who else would the king want to honor more than me? I'm, I'm second in command. I just had a banquet with me and him and the queen alone, and I'm about to go to another banquet today. Of course the king's talking about me. I'd be more than happy to give you my advice, king, about how you should honor me and how you should uh, thank me for everything that I've done. This is no co coincidence. These two men, Ahasuerus and Haman, have very different intentions for Mordecai. Haman wants Mordecai dead, and Ahasuerus wants Mordecai exalted and praised and thanked for his service. That's no coincidence. It's no coincidence that Haman comes in in the morning um, ready to ask for Mordecai's head. And it's no coincidence that Ahasuerus has not been able to sleep, and, uh, and now he's asking Haman for his advice. God uses this moment to turn things around for Mordecai and for the Jews. And that's because God loves his people. God cares for his people. He keeps his promises to his people. When the world and those that are evil in this world have intentions that are evil towards God's people, God turns those around for, for the good of his people. And God uses the evil intention of Haman in coming to the king's door early in the morning. The first one there, God uses his evil intention to turn it around for Mordecai's good. And that's what God does for us in this world. When the world has e evil intentions for us, and, and there will be persecution for the believer in this world, there will be those who despise us as we live for the Lord, God uses that for our good, for our growing, for our strengthening in our faith. And so God uses the evil of this world that it intends against us for our good, and we can trust Him in those times, in those moments. We need to be careful of pride in our life. Pride leaves us thinking that God has forgotten about us in those times of hardship. That God doesn't care about us in those times of persecution and trial and, and uh, d being despised by the world. Pride leaves us thinking that God doesn't love us because things aren't going our way. But humility uh, helps us to see that God is using those things for our good. 
And so we need to be careful that we don't let pride blind us like Haman let pride blind him. So we see a blinded man. Number three, we see a great reward. A great reward, verses 7 through 9. And Haman answered the king, For the man whom the king delighteth to honor, let the royal apparel be brought which the king useth to wear, and the horse that the king rideth upon, and the crown royal which is set upon his head. And let this apparel and horse be delivered to the hand of one of the king's most noble princes, that they may array the man withal whom the king delighteth to honor, and bring him on horseback through the street of the city, and proclaim before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delighteth to honor. Haman begins to outline uh, his what he believes the king should do uh, for him. He thinks it's for him. And so uh, we see this great reward for Mordecai planned out. And the irony is that Haman is the architect of Mordecai's reward. Uh, and the last thing that he expected to happen. And so Haman, like, like any of us would do, if we had the idea that we're about to be honored by the king in our, in our pride, we would start to plan the most elaborate party and celebration that we could think of to recognize us, to recognize the things that we have done. And so he says, let the, the, the royal crown and the royal garments be brought out and, and let this man wear them and let him ride on the king's horse and have him paraded through the city and everyone praising him and, and shouting his name. And this is a great uh, reward, no doubt. That would be a great honor. The Romans did this. Uh, they had what was called a triumph. And when a general would go out to war in the Roman army, and, and if he had a great victory, the, uh, the Roman government would throw a great uh, parade, a great party called a triumph. And the general would be first in line, and he would be riding on a chariot, and behind him would be all of the people of the enemy that he captured. And behind those slaves that he had captured would be all of the loot that he had uh, earned for himself in battle, and he would parade through the city, and they would shout the name of the, the, the general, and they would praise his name, and, and uh, it was an exciting time. And that's what Haman wants done for himself, and so that's what he tells uh, Hasuerus, but really this is going to be for Mordecai. And so we see this great reward, and we're reminded that the Lord rewards us uh, greatly. Uh, for service to Him. And it's not earthly rewards. It's not earthly riches that we look for or that we serve for. It's not some great triumph or some parade where we're marched downtown. Uh, but the Lord rewards us uh, with heavenly riches, with riches that don't fade away, that don't rust, that are not eaten by moths. Uh, uh, it, when we serve the Lord and we live for Him, His reward is far greater than any reward that uh, the Persians could give, the Romans could give, America could give us. Christ's rewards are far greater, and those are the rewards we ought to live for and serve for in our life, not the rewards of this, this world. Whose rewards are you living for? Whose recognition are you living for? For the recognition and rewards of men, or for the rewards that Christ has for the servant who has served Him faithfully in this life. Those uh, you know, the, the rewards that men give might be nice in the earthly sense, but again, we can't take them to heaven with us. You can't take no amount of money that you earn can be brought to heaven with you, or no, no fancy car that you uh, are given as a reward can be brought to heaven with you, or no amount of popularity in this world can be brought to heaven with you. 
but when we serve Christ and we, we witness for Him, there are rewards laid up for us in heaven that are far greater than, than we could ever find in this world. And that's what we ought to live for and serve for in this life, for this great reward. And so we see a great reward, number four, and finally, we see a humorous humiliation. A humorous humiliation in verses 10 through 14. The Bible says this, Then the king said to Haman, Make haste, and take the apparel and the horse, as thou hast said, and do even so to Mordecai the Jew, that sitteth at the king's gate. Let nothing fail of all that thou hast spoken. Then took Haman the apparel and the horse, and arrayed Mordecai, and brought him on horseback through the street of the city, and proclaimed before him, Thus shall it be done unto the man whom the king delighteth to honor. And Mordecai came again to the king's gate, but Haman hasted to his house, mourning, and having his head covered. And Haman told Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends, everything that had befallen him. Then said his wife, uh, then said his wise men, and Zeresh, his wife, unto him, If Mordecai be of the seed of the Jews, before whom thou hast begun to fall, thou shalt not prevail against him, but shalt surely fall before him. And while they were yet talking with him, came the king's chamberlains, and hasted to bring Haman unto the banquet that Esther had prepared. We see a humorous humiliation. You can't help but laugh as you read this. Uh, Haman's reaction. Uh, how the series of events uh, turns around completely. Everything so far has led up to make us believe that Haman is, uh, is set up to be honored, to be the greatest, and now it's flipped on its head. And here's a, a man who thinks that the king wants to honor him, and so he lays out this detailed plan of how the king can honor him, and only to realize he has come up with a plan to honor his arch-nemesis Mordecai, who he hates, uh, who he despises. And not only that, the king tells him to basically hurry up and make sure that Mordecai is, is praised and that this uh, reward is given to him. Uh, don't delay. He tells him to make haste. Uh, go about it quickly. And, and not only that, but Haman had to lead Mordecai in the parade. Perhaps Haman, in his mind, as he was detailing this plan, had intentions that Mordecai could lead him in the parade and, and shout before Haman uh, that he, he's the one that everyone's praising. But now it's, it's reversed, and Haman has to lead Mordecai through the streets, shouting, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Haman wanted to be that man, but he's not. Perhaps he thought in his mind, uh, again, that Mordecai could have been that one. Haman is humiliated. He woke up that morning eager to get to the palace, eager to get his petition to have Mordecai put to death, but he's humiliated. And the only thing that got hung that day was the pride of Haman. That's the only thing that got put to death that day was his pride. The Bible says in Proverbs 16 verse 18, pride goeth before destruction and in haughty spirit before a fall. And Haman had that haughty spirit. He was lifted up in pride. But now he's reduced to throwing a tantrum to his wife and to his wise men, to his friends. Just the night before, what was he doing? He comes into his house and he starts to brag to his wife and his friends about how great I am and how rich I am and, how, uh, and his posterity and, and uh, how wonderful he is. And now he comes home crying. And uh, we, see, uh, we see a phrase here. It says he is um, mourning and having his head covered. That's what somebody does in this time when someone has died. But the only thing that has died, again, is his pride. 
and, he, and he's, uh, he's crying like a baby, throwing a tantrum to his wife. What an, exaggerate, what an exaggeration uh, we see from Haman because of his pride, because of his pride. Matthew Henry put this uh, in, in a great way in his commentary on this passage. Mordecai rises no higher than the king's gate, while proud, ambitious Haman gets the king's ear and heart. But though the aspiring rise fast, the humble stand fast. The humble stand fast. Haman rose the ranks uh, very quickly by muscling his way forward through pride, through arrogance, through uh, deceit. Uh, Mordecai has never sought promotion. Mordecai never sought a parade in his honor. Mordecai never sought to be praised, I'm sure. Mordecai would have been content to continue to mourn in sackcloth and ashes for the deliverance of his people at the king's gate. Mordecai is not the one who sought honor in this passage. It was Haman. Haman sought to, to rise up quickly, but who is it that ends up standing fast? It's, it's Mordecai because of his humility and because of his trust and faith in the Lord. And it, and it is God who rewards Mordecai through the evil intentions of Haman. God turned Haman's evil intentions for Mordecai's blessing and for Mordecai's good. And Mordecai is left standing while Haman is fallen. Morde, uh, Haman is mourning because, because his heart was filled uh, with pride. And that's a lesson for us that God honors humility. God does not honor pride in our life. So we need to ask ourselves, do we have humility in our life? Or do we live our life for ourselves? Do we live our life for our own desires and our own wants and our own wishes? Is our, is our life all about us? And everybody that's around us needs to, to bow down and do the things that we want them to do in our life. If you want to be hilariously humiliated in your life, then go on and chase after pride. It will leave you defeated and hopeless. Go on thinking that you're better than others. Go on demanding that other people do the things that you want uh, them to do in an arrogant attitude. Go on thinking that you can never be corrected and critiqued. Go on doing those things if you want to be hilariously humiliated. It may get you where you want to be quickly, but you will not stand. You will fall because of pride. And so in our life, we need to have humility uh, like Haman, unless we want our pride bubble to pop uh, and uh, find ourselves throwing a fit like the kid at the party who loses his favorite balloon, like Haman who lost his uh, balloon of pride in this story. We need to be careful that we are not filled with pride. There are no coincidences with the Lord, though. He's in control in our life. When it seems like all of these events that were happening to um, Mordecai, it seems like they're orchestrated, orchestrated by Haman, but really they're orchestrated by the Lord. And God has brought all these things together for Mordecai's good. And in our own life, as we serve the Lord, we need to serve him in humility and not in pride. And then when trials come in our life, when hardship comes into our life, when things don't go the way we expect them to go, we can trust the Lord because we have humility and we understand things don't have to go the way we want them to or we expect them to. We trust in the Lord and we know that He's in control. And God blesses those who have a humble heart instead of a heart filled with pride. And so we need to realize this evening there are no coincidences with the Lord. He's intentional and we can trust His intentions even when we don't know the end of those intentions for our life. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for this night that you've given us and for